This episode is sponsored by Fortinet and their security fabric for retail, enabling robust networking, enterprise security, and centralized management without sacrificing efficiency or quality of experience. Learn more by going to fortinet.com forward slash retail. And thanks to Fortinet, from now on until August 18th, we are running a contest for a huge prize package. As a matter of fact, we will be choosing not one, but two winners for this contest. To learn more and to enter, visit skipkimple.com forward slash contest or visit any of my social media channels. You can earn entries every single day. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and start getting your entries in now. Tango Charlie Papa, episode number 10, August 4th, 2020. Off-premise strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with the tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. And welcome back again. This is your host, Skip Kimple, and I'm your tech chef for today. I certainly hope you enjoyed last week's double header. I am hearing lots of great feedback from all of you about it. And both Tim Lockhart and Brett Kruger, who are my guests during that time, um, really did a fantastic job. And in particular, if you haven't heard Brett Kruger's episode yet, which is episode number nine, make sure you have a listen. Brett and I go back a very long time and share some very interesting stories about technology endeavors from the past. Now, some of you actually joined uh, the NetSurian webinar last week, and thanks for joining. I really do appreciate you uh, participating, and I certainly hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now, today we're headed into part six of the contactless payment series. We are on the final two episodes before we move away from the series. Now, in this episode, we speak with Ram Krupp, who is a pioneer, a disruptor, and a visionary, and most important, a thought leader in the restaurant industry. For more than 23 years, Ram has worked with over 500 restaurant brands designing technology and analytics solutions used in over 100,000 restaurant locations worldwide. Rom's passion is to help drive growth in the restaurant industry while maintaining a purpose-driven culture. Now, out of this passion was born RestCon, the premier conference for data and future innovation in the restaurant industry. Quite honestly, I'm going to stop right there because he really doesn't need an introduction at all. So sit back, relax, and pull out a pen and paper to take notes because you don't want to miss a thing that he has to share with us. Ram, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about your background, and I think that's going to set up the stage nicely for the rest of our conversation. So I have been in restaurant technologies a little bit over 24 years, so started in the mid-90s. I've been around all kinds of technologies, started from operational technologies in the mid-90s with point-of-sale systems. But through my career, worked on anything from uh, back of the house automation, found the house automation, kitchen automation, um, ERPs, online ordering systems. So I've spent a career in the industry, uh, built several technology companies for the industry. Um, you know, I recently had to update my resume, so I kind of know the number, but I've, I've worked with over 500 different brands in my career in the restaurant space and 
have now installed technologies in over 100,000 restaurants in, in the U.S. market alone. So, yeah, I mean, I fell into this industry and I fell in love into the industry. That's kind of my story. Well, we're here today to talk about contactless payment and contactless dining because that's the, the theme of this series. But when I first started communicating with you, the company I was working for at the time, we were looking at another product that you have, and I guess it's a whole different company, which is called Marketing Vitals. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what that product is? Yeah, Marketing Vitals is, is an interesting story because the inception of it came out of the economic crisis of 2008, where you couldn't keep up with data to do the right decisions to stay afloat. And I was sitting on the sideline waiting for technologies like machine learning to be more viable. And I felt in 2013 that there's something there's something there. There's there's enough in that early technology that can be used to make restaurants smarter and better. So the goal of marketing via was was to build a data science in a box. So instead of relying on an army of analysts in a long period of time to crunch data, how do we provide data science in a box to restaurants where it learns everything that's happening and you can teach it. You can teach it all the marketing events and all the changes and LTOs, and then it learns weather patterns and frequency patterns. And it's able out of this box to answer some of the most complex questions our industry has been plagued with forever in a click and shrink that timeline from test control to knowledge to hours instead of weeks and months. So that's what Marketing Vials specialized in. And again, started building it in 2013. We were out in the market in 2014. And uh, until now, it's, you know, it's been used by hundreds of brands in 49 countries now, and it's growing constantly in its feature set and functionality. Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said it answers those complex questions, because while we were evaluating your product, you gave us a bunch of examples of questions that it could actually answer. And these were the burning questions that our CMO was asking and you know, all the senior leadership were asking, and we had no great way of really being able to take and tie all of that data together and bring it into one platform and really analyze it and tell tell us really what the customer journey was at that point. So it, it was very valuable to us. Well, I think that old running joke has, has been going on around longer than me, but you know the joke of uh, you know when sales goes down, you fire the marketing. When sales goes up, you bonus operation. Uh, that's kind of been the story of the industry, obviously in tongue and cheek, but the reality is causation analysis has been very difficult. You know, um, you're looking at data and you're assuming certain things influenced it to cause it, and you're thinking that they're in the moment data. You might look at a decline in traffic that you're trying to figure out what happened this month, but it actually happened four months ahead before it, where what was causing it, the causation. And it might have been a result of a price change or a menu change or a management change or uh, dropping off marketing efforts. So not only in the standing and clarity causation, but predicting what will happen before you do it. I mean, that's critical because the agility is expected from brands today and the ability of experimental things expected from brands today, you know, new menu items, new cocktails, new new channels of offering it's it's been demanding way before COVID, and brands really had a hard time scaling for that demand from an analytics perspective. I mean, how many brands have a data scientist in their PNL as a part of their budget? Hardly and who anybody. does that person report to? Yeah, and who yeah. does that person report to? And what's their budget as a department? They don't. So that was kind of the vision. Um, you know, we were really early. No, nobody was talking machine learning in 2013. Um, technology like AWS wasn't there either. We had to build a lot of our own technologies. We had to build our own, 
on uh, infrastructure. Uh, but with that, it's very specific for the restaurant industry and it answers very specific, hard to answer questions. And it helps restaurants that appreciate data and can act on data. And I, I got to say, I don't think that's the majority of restaurants yet. Uh, but the, the ones that mindset is there to be data driven, it definitely shrinks down that that uh, time from action to decision to act, to reaction, right? Well, and I think, you know, restaurants struggle that, you know, this is such a complex puzzle to put together. They don't realize that you have a product that will take all of their data sources and bring it in. And, and you know, it's a jumpstart to telling that story, you know, help creating KPIs and continuously monitoring them. So, you know, it doesn't need to be as complicated as what restaurants are making it out to be. And once again, if you don't know about the solution, it's just this, you know, insurmountable task that you've got to complete. Yeah. And one thing we've done with that company and, and quite honestly, I do with all my products and companies we do everything on a month to month. We don't believe in contracts and term commitments because people have to understand if the product actually fits. We have enough confidence our product is going to work right. So it's really a, a fit. You know, very often you don't get people to try your products or see if they're a fit because of the commitment and, and all the cost involved. So we try to keep those into as minimal as possible so brands can experiment with our technology, see if it's a fit for their brand, see if they're culturally ready to act on data. And, and again, I'm going to say the majority are not. They say they do, but they are not. And then if that's the fit, then it can stay in. And we've we've been in the market now five years, five plus years. And uh, we have customers that we've retained through the whole five-year period. So it kind of shows you on a month-to-month that you could retain customers that are the right fit. So I could talk data with you all day long. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have you come on a future show. I think we need to do a bigger dive into data and marketing vitals and just let people know a little bit more about what that product does. But today I want to talk a little bit more in regards to OneDine. Now, OneDine, I mean, you you became a massive hit in the month of March. Obviously, this product has, has been around a lot longer. But in March, you had a product already out on the market that really solved for some of these challenges that restaurants were facing. For instance, you know, how do we deal with curbside delivery? How do we deal with drive through We've never had to do that before. How can we, you know, launch something so quickly to be able to stay in business? So let's talk about OneDine now. Um, maybe you can explain what it is and what it's composed of and really how it would help the restaurants. Well, let me take a kind of step back even before the product. The product is built on a certain observation and ideology, if you may, because I'm an inside observer of the industry for a long time. And inside that observation, a few key things uh, were apparent to me through my career. One is uh, technology doesn't drive innovation. Economic conditions drive innovation. So you can build the coolest, best product possible but if it's cheaper to throw people at the problem, you don't get adoption. You, you're not, you know, the industry is not ready for that. They don't want to experiment with service. So that's one observation we always put in that unit economics dictate adoption of technologies more than cool factor or new technology factor. And the second thing is the cost of innovation is very large and typically requires a rip and replace of most of the systems in place to gain innovation. So if you think about this, You've got an archaic system that might be 20 years in place, be point of sale or loyalties, and you've got credit card merchant services uh, partnerships in your banking, and you've got all these things you've invested and build an eco structure around, uh, sorry, eco structure around them. I'm sorry, and processes and integrations, and now you want to gain some innovation. 
typically what happens is you have to rip and replace, which is not just the cost of the rip and replace on a, you know, cost of hardware, software. It's 90% of it is rip and replace to just get what you had, right? The stable stakes and 10% of it is innovation. Now you got to reintegrate all the systems, retrain all the staff. So it's very difficult, the bigger you brand you are, to actually take steps towards innovation because of that factor. So if you think about the enterprise space in the restaurant industry, which OneLine was built with that in mind, most of them have used the same systems for several decades. So we're talking about sales cycles that could take 20, 30 years to rip and replace. I mean, you could go down the list on all the enterprise brands and you can go mark on the calendar when's the last time they made a major technology investment and what's the time before that if it was recent. And you'll find 20-year gap minimum in those. So how do you drive innovation when the big brands can't do that? And to get the mass appeal, you got to have the big brands doing it so the small brands follow and consumers have expectations. So that's kind of the genesis and the thought process. So in one dime, what we want to do is, A, tackle unit economics. How do we actually create unit economics that work for restaurants moving forward? And the things we observed in data is labor costs on the rise and elasticity is very high, meaning that if you take more price increase, people are offsetting it with less visits and less purchase. So you can't really get that much more from your customers in the last three to four years. Again, even leading to COVID, I'm sure it's going to get worse now. So you're dealing with a unit economic problem when it comes to labor. And second, the rip and replace costs versus the augmentation costs. We call ourselves an augmented technology. And I can explain in a bit what that means. So when we look at that, we build marketing, sorry, we build OneDine specifically into a world of enterprise that has a lot of those systems in place that are well-established. We sit on top of it and we augment what it's missing. And that can come in many forms. It can come in staff-facing forms, from mobility in the hands of the staff to accommodate guest needs near the table, if it's tablets, to do order payment, loyalty engagement at the table, while maintaining your existing systems, your existing point of sale, your existing loyalty, your existing credit card processor, to guests on device, to be able to do it on their own without an app download, the ability to engage. Uh, so that allowed create innovation around on-premise technology, um, you know, order, pay. I can have six people on the table, each one ordering their own things, want to pay separately, split certain items together. We made functions of that take seconds if the server does it or the team member does it without ever leaving the table. So, you know, we're very strong in this augmentation. Now, we've spent two and a half years building that technology, and we actually started implementing it right in November of 2019. So we haven't been around that long, even though we spent... Uh, a couple of years in development, we just started launching into the market in November. And with that, we had about 50 enterprise brands that were doing different uh, testing with us in different uh, scenarios. Obviously, COVID hit, and we decided to give back to the industry everything we could, and we started offering all of our services at no cost with a commitment to doing that for as long as dining rooms are closed and even post-dining room close, closure. To date, we have not collected a penny for many brand, we've helped thousands of restaurants uh, with different technologies over the last few months. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of investing back in the industry. We're, we're giving away millions of dollars a month in services right now, just trying to help the industry adapt to all these technologies. But that's a little bit about the story of OneDine. Well, that's amazing. And it's it's so 
Um, so fantastic that your company is actually doing that for the industry. Obviously, you have a vested interest as well because you, you want them to succeed because these are hopefully future customers for you. But that's really what brought national attention to what you were doing is, hey, restaurants, here's a solution you can spin up pretty quickly. And guess what? It's not going to cost you anything right now. So I, I congratulate you for that. Now, I want to take a step back. You were talking about some of the what I would consider some complex functionality of your system, um, like splitting checks, um, you know, some of the more complex functions. Obviously, you're integrated into the POS, and there's restrictions on the POS. How, how do you get there with, with your product? And that's kind of the key, uh, where a lot of technologies look at the current interface ecosystem and say, okay, this is what we can or cannot do we decided to create a brand new data model and treat the POSs, treat the loyalties, the coupon systems, everything we interface to is just one more nod that we have to connect to. So we unchained ourselves from a data structure that's been in place since the 80s around check header, check detail, you know, payment details. And we built a new data structure that is limitless. And when I say limitless, I can walk into a table and they say, hey, by the way, us two are paying together, everybody else paying for themselves. I'm picking up the, the wine, but everybody's going to split the dessert. And as fast as you said that to the team member, that's as fast as they were able to do the function and hand you a tablet or tell you to tap your, your, your phone, the sensor, and you're ready to pay the exact portion you did. It's faster than Venmoing each other money. It literally is. And I timed it with people side by side with Venmoing. So the concept was all about creating a data structure that doesn't depend on what the POS, because the POS can't do it. Now, the POS doesn't need to know that level of details. The POS just needs to know at the end, check is paid for. So we don't have to rely on the POS being that system of record. The POS for us is just one more channel that we have to give all the data to so it can continue operating both in the moment for kitchen production and, and bar and post for reporting, cash outs, tip pooling, um, you know, accounts receivable, accounts payable, different integrations. So we give the POSs everything it needs to continue functioning 100% with the data it expects, but we build experiences that are unchained. I can have a, the same table of six where every person can join the loyalty or earn points or redeem an offer independently as a seat within the table without having to worry about what the POS is going to do with that data structure. So one of the challenges restaurants faced during this whole COVID crisis was the fact that they could no longer serve guests in their restaurant, and they had to figure out how to do curbside um, in order to, to stay alive in, this, in, in the business. So how does OneDine actually solve for that problem? So we have a technology we call Park Order Pay, which allows you to activate a parking spot almost like a Sonic does as a, as a carport. So days after restaurants closed the dining rooms, we were producing basically printable banners that have a code on them and a QR code. And a car, a car pulls into one of those parking spots, pulls up the phone, scans that code, and now is able to place an order for that parking spot. And that order knows the spot and the location the order was placed from. So when it goes to the POS, it goes with the delivery instruction of which spot to actually deliver it to. And if they don't have a supported POS, we're able to give them a, uh, a, an app to run on an Android or iOS tablet that shows them all this information in a non-integrated way. Think about like third-party deliveries where we can work completely offline and then they can manually key it into the POS. So we, we start treating every single 
parking spot almost as a virtual table. And these empty parking, parking spaces became a way to activate customers. So it was kind of a spur of a moment. You know, a couple of days after the dining room shut down, we pivoted a bit the technology of in-dining to kind of expand into the parking spot. And we went out and we printed some signs and we took them to one of our customers and we did an experiment. I actually did a short 20-second video of it. And that video was hit, I think about it hit about half a million views last week. So it's pretty interesting that these kind of short videos can get viral. But uh, at least in the business-to-business world, I found interesting that half a million people care about that, that specific story, but they do. And with that, we were able to activate suddenly this new channel for restaurants where they had no logistics to do. And to some respect, you know, we were ready for this world before it was there because we were building around NFC and QR and guest journeys. I think what COVID has done is just made us more creative on how can we expand the ecosystem we built and create more and more unique channels. And because, as I mentioned, our data structure does not depend on what the POS can or cannot do, we're able in days to spin off these journeys and kind of enhance the whole experience. Now, the curbside piece is brilliant. And like you said, you're way ahead of the game before COVID hit. When you're developing and you're coming up with ideas, where do you get your inspiration from? Do you get it from customers telling you what they want or are you developing for what they truly need? I think just spending all these years on the inside, I think the needs are very similar. Uh, How they want it delivered, we don't pay as much attention sometimes because every single brand has their own unique way that they think they should deliver. And it's not right or wrong. It's just they're very myopic to what they see, right? They see their problem in a silo. Our job is to see patterns in requests in the market and then generalize it as a best practice technology. So we're not, I'm not saying it from a position of we know better. I'm saying it from a position of we have better visibility into patterns and problems and patterns and needs. And we're able to design more best business practices uh, than sometimes brands can do internally, right? Because they don't have that that visibility, the higher visibility. Now, how we how we prioritize how we build? It's very scientific, actually. It's not it's not as good as people think. You know, we do a lot of futurist uh, panels that we invest time and effort in. So, Rescon, which is the, the conference I run every two years, last year was 2019. We had a, a panel around uh, restaurants 2035. We took futurists from different reputable uh, futuristic companies. We spent time and months on building case studies and data analysis from sociology and how people behave, where consumer behavior is going to be in the year 2025, the year 2030, the year 2035. We look at technology, what will stick. You know, I, I, I tell this to people all the time. The reason the world today is not the world of the science fiction we saw when we were kids for the same time is not because of our inability to build those technologies. It's because it's very hard to commercialize them unless there is enough uh, financial demand for it, right? So think about drones. The reason drones are making such a headway into the business world is not because of the business wanting them and needing them. It's because the consumer demand is so high that's driving so many dollars into R&D that's getting the price point to a point that businesses could afford it as an alternative to a manual process. Does that make sense where I'm going with this? It does, so yes. And you, if I had to keep, 
And I want to, I want to come back to drones at some point in time, probably won't have enough time today, but drones are a passion of mine. And I truly believe the situation we're in right now is going to, um, fast track a lot of these, uh, regulations that, and the, and the laws that need to be changed in order for this to become a true reality in the delivery business. Yeah. If I was going to go develop a drone for restaurants to deliver their food, and that was the business case, restaurants would pay 20, 30, $40,000 for these drones. And the challenge is how many restaurants can afford investing in that? It's cheaper just to hire somebody and make them do it. But because, again, commercially, there's a huge consumer demand, and that's where the scalability of economics come from, there's so much money into those innovations that drives costs down that now a business could have a $1,500 drone that could deliver food instead of a twenty dollars or $30,000 drone. And that brings technology to reality. So every time you look at it, you say, it's not the ability to build innovation. It's the economic condition that makes the innovation more affordable than a manual alternative. Uh, like robotics in kitchen has been around for 15, 20 years, but it hasn't taken mainstream because the cost of the robotics versus the cost of throwing bodies at the problem, it's just not even close yet. But at some point it will. And at that point, it's going to drive costs down. It's going to drive affordability up. I don't know if you saw the release this week. Um, White Castle, Susan over there, they installed Flippy, their their hamburger flipper. And I can't wait to talk to her about that because they, you know, they're getting some pretty good attention. They've created a personality around it. And I got to say, White Castle is pretty darn innovative when it comes to technology. They they are always pushing the envelope like no other restaurant I've seen before. But think about, yeah, I agree with you, but think about kiosks. Kiosks have been around for as long as I've been in this industry, and that's 24 years. But why did you not see a mainstream? Well, in kiosk was another great example. Price was too high. The number of kiosks you really have to put in place to create the adoption and the benefit, you requires a lot of kiosks. Um, you know, people have this natural fear of, uh, of being observed, right? Stage fright. It's a very common phobia. So when you stand in front of a kiosk and you feel a line behind you, people get flustered with basic functionality. They can't even find the burger button anymore, even though it's right in their face. So you, you need to augment by having many different kiosks so you don't create these lines. But imagine 20 years ago when the investment was $25,000, $30,000 per kiosk, how do you convince a $1 million AUV brand to, to invest $250,000 in kiosks? It's not going to happen because the labor savings are not going to be there. Today, kiosks are down to $1,000. Where the $1,000 kiosk, you can put 10, 15 kiosks and create the environment that people can take their time, learn the technology the first time, get comfortable with it, and then use it. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where we decide and what we invest in. There's a lot more we can do, but should we do it? Is the economics make sense to do it? Will brands adopt it? Is that the kind of steps of service they want to give their customers? You know, COVID has accelerated a lot of those conversations, and we're monitoring closely what we, we want to do, you know, during and post-COVID, obviously. Um, but that's kind of the reality of how we, we decide what we build. And it's, it's a combination of sociology. It's a combination of psychology, science when it comes to technology, affordability, unit economics. We look at it all, and then we decide where can we benefit the most. We don't build technology just for the sake of building technology. I got to ask you, do you think the... COVID situation has killed the kiosk market. Um, do you think maybe the kiosks need to start adopting more touchless features through gestures or face, facial recognition, things like that? 
So it's tough to answer that because we don't know the length of the event yet. You know, when you know the length of the event, you can determine the change of norm, right? What is a permanent change of norm? What's a temporary change of norm? Obviously, the longer events carry, the more they change norm on a permanent base. So when people get used to not touching somebody else's device for a period of time, you know, it just becomes, I don't want to touch it. It's not that the kiosk is not valuable. It's, it's a habit forming. So it's hard to answer until we know the, the length of the event. If the event is going to end in the next few months, then I look at COVID almost like I look at ADA, right? Where you know, 80% of people are going to go back to old habits over time. They're going to get more comfortable. They're going to go back to whatever you give them. But there'll be a 10, 20% of people that are going to stay high risk or maybe had a really bad condition of the disease and are hypersensitive for the rest of their life about you know, getting sick from pandemics and things like that. And how do you accommodate them long-term, right? Because you, you, got, you got to have the wheel, a wheelchair ramp to allow people to come into your building if they're on a wheelchair, even though maybe one in 50 will actually take advantage of that. Um, but how do you accommodate now potentially one in five that will say, I don't feel comfortable touching this. I don't feel comfortable holding this. or Because if they don't feel comfortable being in your facility, and if your facility mandates a kiosk flow, as an example, then you have to write that customers off your, your restaurants. So it really is hard to answer because the length of the event determines the long-term uh, effect of how people behave with, with technology. And I don't know where the end is. Um, you know, I'm, That's not my specialty. Now, as soon as you figure that out, let me know because <laughs> we can make some money off that. Let, let, yeah. me, let me tell you, um, I... I think there has been a permanent shift in consumer behavior uh, during this time that we've experienced. We've, we're, ha- we're learning to do things in a new way. And I think a lot of those things are here to stay. I mean, mentally, it's going to be hard for people to take a step back and do what they used to do. They're, it's always going to be floating through their head. Is this okay to touch? Is this okay to do? You know, not knowing what's out there. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because some of our features that, you know, we built as a, I would say not, not a corner case, but a, case, a use case that's not going to be as useful in in most conditions, but we need to accommodate to build a full augmented technology is now one of our most popular features that will probably become a staple in the industry for time to come, which is our, our text-to-pay concept, where whereas you're taking phone orders and now you have to accommodate completing a payment with somebody on the phone and taking a card over the phone is not a good PCI practice. And waiting for them to arrive and exchange a physical card is not a good hygienic practice. So a lot of brands are taking advantage of our text-to-pay where you place the order in the POS, we recognize that order as a phone number, we SMS the customer, hey, your order has been placed, click here to pay, and they pay that order, and then we clear it on the POS for production. So we're creating contactless payments in a world of call-in orders and by far became one of our most popular features. And I think those are the kind of features that are gonna stick. People are gonna expect to complete a payment over the phone in a secure way on a more permanent base. As you well know, there's lots of creativity and lots of new products that are constantly popping up on there right now. I guess the question is, you know, everybody's trying to cash in or at least make a living. People that have been laid off or, you know, looking to do something different in their downtime. During these difficult times, is there really any good advice that you can provide to all the entrepreneurs out there? You, you're very good. You're very creative, and you're a very well-known entrepreneur. But maybe you can share some of that advice with others. 
Yeah, so market fit, you know, any every time there's a crisis or, or a life event like this, there's opportunities for market fit products or market fit services. Sometimes the best ideas are kept sometimes for the right timing. For some respect, people ask me, why didn't you do one dine in 2012, 2013? Because you always thought about doing this technology and why didn't you actually do this? And my answer well, was timing. Consumers weren't ready. Restaurants weren't ready. Technology wasn't ready. We could have built it and probably burn all the cash we, that was given to us to try to penetrate a 2-3% adoption and then pave the road into everybody else copying it when the timing is right. So when you look at conditions like right now, what is temporary, where I wouldn't try to build a business around a temporary solution, and what is permanent? What are the permanent services and you know either technology, products, or services that will be needed for your industry, be the restaurant industry in our case, on a permanent base. And you can start building businesses like sanitation. It doesn't get, take hard, uh, a lot of work to learn how to be a specialist in this. It doesn't take a lot of investment in equipment. But a sanitation routine for every restaurant is going to be in the foreseeable future as a more standard daily occurrence, not what used to be once a month we have a company steaming our kitchens. So, you know, there's so many opportunities to get into business. It's it's kind of like the, the old exterminator business or carpet cleaner business where everybody could just go buy a machine and they're in business. I think there's a lot of businesses like that that are going to be born from a pandemic like this. And I think if you're an entrepreneur with a low budget but desire to create your own income, create your own future, what is now being created that will stay that you can invest in time and effort and maybe very little money? to provide services on an ongoing base for any industry. In our case, you know, I, if I wasn't in technology, I would start looking at things like that. Like, like how do you cre create cleaning services that specialize in, you know, disinfecting restaurants? Because there are companies doing it, but they can't get to everybody. It's what I say about OneDine. There are companies that are, are doing some of what we do, all of what we do, part of what we do. I don't know, quite honestly. You know, the marketing message is lost sometimes in the execution. So you never know what people really offer sometimes. But let's assume there's 100 companies like us today. We can't all combine reach every restaurant in the country that needs us right now. So there's plenty of space for competitive products. There's plenty of space for more new competitors, for more new solution providers. I encourage it because the more restaurants, the more companies participate in a new innovation, even though it's from competitive set, the more consumers will adopt and expect, the long term, you know, we all benefit from that. So, as a, as somebody who wants to be an entrepreneurial, look at this right now and and think about what is here to stay. Where can I invest my time and effort to start being on the ground level of providing long term solutions? Aram, there's a lot of small restaurants out there right now. They're on the verge of closing. They think they can't afford technology. What is your advice to those people? The right technology done in the right way with the right partner should not cost you anything. Right? You should right away augment whatever impact it does. I don't, see, I don't see how it's a cost, right? Especially not in today's world. Now, we've taken a different approach. We removed the cost factor out of it altogether, but we can't do it forever either. I mean, at some point, we'll have to start also looking at our own economics. But if you do, if you chose the right partner with the right technology, solving the right problem, it should never be an expense. And when you look at things like 
providing you know uh, digital menus at the table, providing order at the table, providing pay at the table with consumers' own device. A restaurant shouldn't expect more than a couple hundred dollars to get in business with that. And if it's more than a couple hundred dollars, you have a problem, right? Uh, you know, NFC sensors with QRs, they're a couple of dollars each. You've got 40 tables. You're looking at $80, $100 in, in sensors. You're in business. So because you're relying a lot on the technology the customers are bringing in the building. I don't think cost in the world of what we're talking about, the bring your own device, is a factor. So we got to start wrapping things up here. Unfortunately, like I said, I could um, probably talk to you all day long. You're, you're fascinating. You've got to be one of the smartest people I know, quite honestly. Um, RestCon, which is your uh, restaurant technology conference, normally happens every year. Are you having one this year? Is it going to be virtual? What are your plans for that? It's actually every two years, and we're on an off year. So we're, ho- we're hoping we're on track for next year. Um, so it should be in September of 2021, as scheduled at this point. Um, obviously the agenda is completely going to change. Part of the reason, by the way, we do it every two years is because I think to be relevant in content, you need to advise and then observe for a while and then learn and then build a new thesis and then create a new material. And to do that, we do a yearly conference. By the time you wrap up the conference, you already built the content for the next conference. So how much learning is there? So what we, the reason we do two years is we do this conference. It's forward looking. We then observe what brands do, we observe the market. We spend a year, a year and a half reflecting on that. Then we build the content and the agenda for the next one, which gives us a lot of time to see what really is emerging as, as trends and patterns. Because RESCON specifically is very forward focused, not current or back. It's about the future. It's about, you know, where are we going as, a, as an industry? So we, we expect it to be on schedule in September 2021. We had our last one in September of uh, 2019. So we're hoping by then things will be back to a new form of normal. I won't say back to normal. I think we're beyond that, but a new form of normal that can accommodate conferences. Well, once again, you're the luckiest man in the world because A, you created a product several years ago. You were, you launched it in November and you were definitely in the right place at the right time this year. And now that I know that your conference isn't scheduled for this year until until next, it's like you skipped the whole COVID thing. So well, you know, impeccable I timing. Myself- I consider myself lucky for other reasons. I've got amazing team members, amazing family, amazing clients, amazing relationships, you know, people like yourself. Uh, you know, business success is the last thing on my list right now, to be honest. I just, we're just trying to help. I mean, it's, it was a big commitment for us to not only offer everything for free, but not for lower employees, pay them their normal pay. You know, we, we decided to take it on and, and really commit to keeping both our employees employed and keeping as many restaurants open as possible because you know, we're fortunate to have them. And that's where I'm fortunate is just amazing people all the way around. Well, it's very commendable of you and your company and it just shows what a class act you are. So Ram, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. We definitely need to get back on the show later on, talk about some of your other products and just have a talk about restaurants in general, because you have so much to share. I'd like to squeeze a little more out of that brain of yours and and share it with the listeners. Thanks again, Ram. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. Anytime, Skip. Ram, that was awesome. Now, if you want to learn more about OneDine, go and visit their website along with their sister company, Marketing Vitals. It's going to be well worth your time to explore and to learn more about these two companies. Don't forget about our contest, which we are doing in conjunction with Fortinet. 
If you have not seen what you can win, you have to check it out. Go to skipkimple.com forward slash contest to learn more. You have about a week and a half left to enter and winners will be announced on the August 18th episode. Don't you wish it was your name I was calling out? Of course you do. Now, speaking of calling out, we have a little bonus contest for you. What I want to hear from you is what is the oddest thing that you've ever eaten? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is call the following phone number, 954-302-0851. You're not going to reach a human. All it's going to be is a voice message. I'm asking you to leave a one to two minute long message or so, and you'll be entered for a $50 Amazon gift card, which will be given away in September. Remember, you can't enter and you certainly can't win unless you leave us a voice comment. Now, there's another way to do it as well. You can go to the Skip Kimball website and there's a little icon on the right-hand side of the screen that says, send a voicemail. Click on that and you can record your, your comment right there in the browser. Now, of course, you can find out more information about this show and other shows along with the show notes. And you can always find me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Now, next Tuesday is the last of our contactless payment series where I will be talking with the company Touchpoint and specifically their product called Zero Contact, which they're known for as the contactless everything solution for your restaurant. Now, after that, we are going to be talking to a few very well-known operators, which is going to be a real treat for you. And we're going to follow that up with the next series, which I know you're going to love. Lots and lots of amazing content headed your way. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. 